Taking our Bibles, let's head over to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 for our study this morning. Psalm 127. Before I get started, join me again for a word of prayer, please. Father, I pray that you would just bless this time. Please help in whatever's going on in my own spirit, my own mind. Help me to have calmness and get rid of the nervousness that's here this morning and be able to speak with clarity. I pray that you would use this word and what we shared to just impact where it needs to impact. I pray that there would be an attentiveness, even though we're targeting just a particular element of our social group. I pray that it would have benefit to all in some way, shape, and form. And, Father, you would help my mind to slow down, to just trust you in this matter, and let your word be preeminent, predominant in what we do at this moment. And please minister to hearts in a very special way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last months, before we got into missions conference, we've been talking about a variety of different issues, different struggles that people have, and been more of not preaching a text. We're going to do that in a few weeks, jump into the book of Acts and just go chapter by chapter. But we've been going through a topical textual study on different issues that would be helpful to you that come from the sense of doing counseling, talking to people, answering questions. And this morning I want to get back to one that we were talking about a few weeks back. We were talking about the family. And in that, we talked about the idea of what wives should do. We talked about what the husband should do. We talked about what the kids are supposed to do. We talked about how to get along with siblings. But what I want to focus is what about parents? For just a couple of weeks, talking to the parents and grandparents and reminding you from the Word of God that it's very important you follow the Word of God. When I was growing up, I told you that I grew up in central Minnesota, and in my teen years, my dad had a gas station. And in that gas station, not only did we have the pumps that we were pumping gas, but we also had a service part where we had a, a bay or two, as we called them, where we'd bring the cars into the garage and that we would work on the cars. In one of those bays, one of the portions of the garage, which, by the way, this isn't a picture of the real garage, but one of the, por- one of the garage areas, there was a hoist. It would be not like this hoist. It would f- go all the way level into the ground, and we would have to drive the cars in and line them up so that the hoist that we used in our garage, would the cars would be right where they need to be. Now, the hoist that we had wasn't as flexible as that one where you could adjust the arms. It was very limited. It was solid. So you had to get right to the right spot and make sure that the car was right where it needed to be so when the hoist caught the car, it caught the car frame so that it wouldn't twist the frame, so that it wouldn't cause some damage. And so my dad was extremely peculiar and particular about when we would drive in, somebody needs to stand there and give the guidance and to go this way or that way. And when he got to the point where he was working by himself, he decided he was going to put some directions, some guides in the ground with paint or with boards to help him to make sure he got on the hoist right so that this wouldn't happen. Where it has happened, that cars have fallen off the hoist, people have been hurt, or what's worse is damage could be done to the car. And so my dad, being you know very, very cautious and careful with it, he, he just drove this into us. Make sure you line up on the hoist right. Hey, this morning, can I ask you a question? Are you lined up right on the hoist of God's Word? Are you following God's Word when it comes to family relationships? It is one thing to just drive in and go through and do your normal routine. But what about lining up with the Word of God? 
so that the Word of God can lift you up properly so that you don't have damage, you don't have problems. If you're going to do that, there are some basic principles that we need to start with. We are starting in Psalm 127 this morning, and we read the first basic principle that's given when it comes to parenting. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, eat the bread of sorrow, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Lo, children are, what's your Bible read? Inheritance, an heritage, They are a treasure of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. The very first principle that needs to be defined when you are counseling somebody, when you are approaching the aspect of parenthood, when you are in parenthood, is you need to remind yourself that one of the greatest honors God can bestow upon you is allow you to be a parent. And the idea is this is a treasured gift that God has allowed you to have. The idea in scriptures is children are the crown of an old man. You know, that passage is so true. I didn't realize how true it was until we had grandkids. Better yet than kids are grandkids. No offense to my kids. But it's just, it's a delight. It's a joy. Therefore, the reason I want to just mention this, and most of you say, well, amen, that's true, is I want those who struggle, who say, my child is an interruption in my life. I didn't plan this child. I didn't think this through about, okay, when we were going to have, you know, some mistake that God gave me a child. God makes no mistakes. If God put a child into your care, God did not make a mistake. God chose you to have that child, and it is a blessing from God that you are given that child. And if you are struggling with an attitude of resentment towards being a parent, towards your child, towards your spouse, and you are upset with the fact that you are now having this responsibility You need to rechange your thinking or you need to get some private counsel. Do not continue enduring, existing, and and lamenting over the fact that you're a parent. Look at it and understand that this idea that God has privileged you isn't something to complain about. It is something to thank God for. That you have the kids, that you have the grandkids. Don't do this. Don't go telling your minor kids, I can't wait until you get out of the house. I can't wait until you're grown up and I don't have to deal with you anymore. How damaging that can be to a youngster. You are flipping them off the hoist. You need to understand that this is a privilege and a blessing from God. It doesn't need to be a prison term. This isn't persecution from God. If you're struggling with that, put yourself in the, in the, in the shoes of an individual who would crave to have children. And there are some here who would give their eye teeth in order to have kids. But the Lord has chosen not to give them that. And so those of you who have blessed, been blessed that way, count the treasure that God has given. Thank God. If you're struggling and saying, I, I need to deal with a better attitude, then make it a daily moment that you are thanking God, praising Him. Change your thinking. Understanding God's not going to give you more than you can handle. But understand that you are blessed of God to be counted responsible to have children put in your care. 
First principle. Number two principle is God's Word encourages all parents to set high goals for their kids. To set high goals. And it's good to have goals to raise good kids. It is really good. I, I, I just started listening, okay? These are things that we as parents will hope our kids do. We hope that they do well in school. Hope that they graduate. We hope that they get through. We hope that they don't get kicked out. We hope that they do well, maybe in sports and music and some other, uh, some other aspect. Maybe, maybe we're hoping, you know, in this good goal that my kid doesn't get kicked out of school or go to jail. That's a worthy goal. Poor parents of mine, they didn't get that one. Remain free of addictions. It's a good goal to say, I hope my kids get a decent job and a decent career. I, I hope that they marry wisely and they live happily ever after. Those are good goals. They are worthy goals, and I'm not diminishing them. But the Word of God would have you take a higher goal as a parent. And don't satisfy for these things. This is what the world hopes for. You as believers should have a higher goal. If you go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, let me illustrate for you what the goal God had for the children and the children's children and children and children of the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 6. You're familiar with this text. Back in the beginning of the Bible, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. He is telling them some very basic principles. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your might. Now we're in chapter 6, verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand. They shall be as frontlets before your eyelids. You shall write them upon the post of your door and on thy gates. In other words, what he's telling them is, parents, teach your children the word of God. Have the goal of instilling in them the Word of God. Do it visually. Do it verbally. Do it in all situations. Keep on doing it. Take advantage of it. You're supposed to expose yourselves to the Word of your children to the Word of God. And then he tells us why. If you jump down into the verse, and he talks about the houses will be, uh, verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God have brought you into the land that he swear unto your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which you build not, the houses full of all the things which you filled not, the wells were dug, you get them, vineyards, olive trees which you planted not, <clears throat> when you shall have eaten and be full, then beware lest you forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. Do you catch what he's doing? Do you catch what he's telling the people of Israel? He says that when you get into the land and you experience plenty, you're going to stop running to the Lord. You're going to have the tendency and the temptation to forget the Lord and get enamored with stuff. Does that ever happen in our society? That people get enamored with stuff and they forget the Lord. And so he's saying, make sure, parents, you teach your kids, remind your kids time and time again so that they don't get preoccupied. They don't forget the Lord because of all the stuff. He says, beware lest you forget the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt. But he says, here's why you train your children. So that you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and swear by his name that you don't go after those other gods that were there. He says, so that you follow the Lord, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God, lest you stir up the anger of the Lord. The goal that he set for these parents 
is to teach their kids the word of God so that the kids would be impacted, so that the kids would be moved, so that the kids' goal for their life would not be to get possessions, but rather to serve the Lord. That's the high and lofty goal that he said parents are supposed to have for their kids. That their kids become not just a good kid, but become a godly kid. And there's a huge difference. He talks about the same thing in Psalm 78. Flip over to Psalm 78. About in the middle of the Old Testament. And the number-wise, you can find 78 in the midst of all the other numbers. In Psalm 78, he's talking about that same concept of parents and generations and grandparents having a goal for their kids, their grandkids, that is more than a good career, more than having a nice home, more than having a solid family, more than having a good education. He is stressing in this passage the idea of raise kids who serve the Lord. Look at verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard, known of our fathers have told us. We will not hide, them, not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and of his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Again, parents, grandparents are to teach the truths of God to their children, to the next generation. He commands them to share the Word of God, to share the principles of the Word of God. And they're to encourage their kids to praise the Lord, to talk about His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. Why? Why does He emphasize that? Verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's what he's saying to those people. That's what he would say to you and me, that as parents, our goal is to help our kids be good citizens. Our goal is to help them to fit in, to do well, but more than anything, that they would serve the Lord their God and not backslide and get stuck doing the same stupid stuff we did, but serve the Lord and have a heart for the Lord. We jump to the New Testament, he says, fathers... Stop provoking your children to anger, to being upset, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The same concept put into their minds, the idea, create in their hearts a desire to serve the Lord. That's got to be our goal as parents. That's this high and lofty goal to raise godly kids. And what's a godly kid? What makes somebody godly? Just, Just somebody who dresses a certain way? Well, that has some play into it. That has some impact. But what makes a person, a teenager, a godly teen? Well, it first of all starts with they have to become a believer in Christ. They have to be born again. Children need to come to know Christ as their Savior, that they are sinners, that they need a Savior, or they're going to end up in hell. So parents have to teach their kids that. They have to start with the basics that you must be born again, son and daughter. Grandchild, you need to be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. So you start with training them about getting saved. But then you need to be training them to abide in Christ and he abide in them. Where Revelation talks about that idea that I'll come and I'll knock on the door of their heart and I will come in and sup with them if they let me in. 
A godly teen, a godly young person is one who has a genuine love for God and wants to fellowship with God. They want to spend time with the Lord. They want to hear from God and they want to speak to him. A godly young person, according to Jesus Christ, if you love me, keep my commandments, is a young person, a young adult who desires to obey the word of God, to do what God said. We talked about it two weeks ago. We talked about the idea of following even as a believer in believer's baptism. A godly young person is one who says, that's what I want to do. If God says that I should do that, I love him, I want to obey If God says that I'm supposed to obey my parents, I want to do that. If God says that I'm supposed to share the gospel, I want to do that. That's a godly young person. A godly young person is one who seeks to be holy, as Jesus Christ had the apostle write down, Be ye holy as I am holy. To live in this world that that magnifies sin, live in a way that you magnify Christ and his attitude, his spirit. A godly person is one who loves others indeed, who does more than sees a brother who's in need and says, be warmed and filled, but rather shows their faith by doing something, by helping, by going out of their way. According to James 1, it means pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit the widows, to make something happen in the lives of helping to encourage and assist other people. That's godliness. That's where reality of Christianity begins after you're born again. Godliness is seeking to share the word of God. Teaching your child that they, that they should give the word of God to their classmates, to their fellow companions at sports or whatever activity. A godly young person is one who wants to share the word of God. A godly young person will love what Jesus loves. Jesus loves his church. Jesus is building the church. A godly young person will want to be a part of the body of Christ, contributing to the body of Christ, understanding that they are an eye, they are a hand, they are a foot, that they have to give some of their gifts and talents to this body or whatever church they're in. That's godliness. It's more than just dressing and being here and doing the role. It's living it. And parents, we need to train our kids. This is what God wants. God wants more than just mechanical activity. God wants your heart to love with your whole heart, your mind, your soul. Is it possible in this day and age to raise such teenagers who have a love for souls? Is it possible to have teenagers who have a love for God's people? Is it possible to raise teenagers who want to read the Word of God, who want to pray? I suggest to you that God's Word says it is. I suggest to you that God's Word says that that's been the case for ages. And that should be the goal of parents. And if we want to see illustration of it, there are some here. If you want to see illustration of it, there are some of those that we support that we talked about and had mentioned during the missions conference. Some who are willing, even as young people, to go way out of their way to share the Word of God. Some who are very devoted and dedicated to doing Bible study. Some who are even willing to say goodbye to their dad when their dad leaves to do a very serious trip that could cost him his life or time. And they're willing to make those sacrifices because they have a higher goal than just comfort. 
They have a higher goal than just getting some recognition here. They want to serve the Lord their God. That comes from parents. Number three, what a parent needs to do. A parent needs to raise godly kids by understanding that all this effort that they're going to make is rewarding. It is worth it. The sacrifices that it calls for, the training that it calls for. We read in the word of God, the father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. He that begets a wise child shall have joy. By the way, the wise in this context is somebody who fears the Lord. The beginning of all knowledge and wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Raise a child who fears the Lord. Raise a child who loves the Lord that way. In Third John, he writes, I have no greater joy than this to know, know that my children walk in truth. Number four principle is this. God's word tells us that every child needs spiritual training to become godly. Every child needs the training. It's not going to happen by you just bringing him to church and just showing up on a Sunday morning at 1030. That's not going to be all that's needed. You see, the Word of God teaches us that your child, yours, your child is a sinner like everybody else's child. The Bible teaches that your child has come short of the glory of God, the standard of God. The Bible teaches that there is none righteous, including your child. No, not one. The Bible teaches that David, when he writes, he says, When I was from my mother's womb, I already had a sin nature. You know that's true. Put your child in a room as a toddler with other toddlers and one toy. You know that there's a sin nature. It'll come out very quickly. The idea in Scripture is foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. That idea that the heart is desperate and wicked. A child left to himself shall bring his mother to shame. You must do spiritual training. You must be really ready to invest in your child with this high goal that will really bring you joy and bring you great delight. And I, this is me. This is, you know, the, this isn't scripture. This is my personal experience. I am more joyed and more thrilled, not by the jobs and the, the uh, monetary successes my kids have, but by hearing their involvement in their church. They're sharing the word of God with neighbors. Their idea of praying for others. That to me is the greatest joy that I have to hear my kids have a heart for God. And they're passing that heart on to their children. That is a thrill. But it's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way by just being a passive parent. In fact, number five. I should spend the rest of the month on this. God's word encourages parents to be intentional, to be purposeful or proactive in their efforts to reach this goal of a godly kid. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. You want your kids to grow and to do well. Let's say you want your child to do well with schoolwork. What do you do to help them to do well? Make sure they do their homework. What's that? You do some tutoring? That's it? You help them at times? What's that? Keep them accountable? Okay. Nothing else? You're encouraging. Okay. 
you might, like you said, you might even take them to special classes. So you're going to do extra to help your child to do good in schoolwork. You're not going to, maybe, maybe you did. But the majority who say, I want my child to do well, you're going to have to invest some time and energy to help them to do well. True? No? I mean, your kid, okay, your kids were, my kids weren't this way. My kids weren't natural geniuses. They needed our effort, our help, our encouragement to even get through. Okay, so when I look and say, okay, I want them to do better in school, there was things I could do to help them. Okay, you, your kids show some, uh, some athletic aptitudes. They, they're good at sports. What do you do? You want them to improve. What might you do to help your kid to improve? You practice with them. Nothing else. What's that? Okay, you put them on a team. They might do it. Okay, you get them involved. You might even, some of you might even, did, I shouldn't ask, but I will. Did any of you ever send your kids to some kind of basketball camp, volleyball camp, sports camp? Yes, no? Did anybody ever do that? We are either very tired this morning, <laughs> or my life, what I understand you people living, is totally different. Okay. Dude, if, if a parent wants her child to succeed, some of you invest in that highly, that you want your kid to do really well. There's nothing wrong with that. But my point is, you want them to succeed and to grow in that area, so you're putting a lot of personal effort, time, monies into those types of things. If, if your child shows some musical abilities, what might you do to help them to develop it? Get them lessons. And if you have a kid like one of mine comes home and wasn't following, wasn't practicing, it's either you either practice, I'm not paying this money for you just to go and not do anything. We kept them accountable. And if, if it's of any help, we, 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 this was brand new when our kids were little. We got the pianos with the headphones. So all we would hear was this, which was a lot better than hearing all the other mute noise. The only thing was we looked for one of those when Tony wanted to play a horn. We tried to find something that would just, he was the only one had he listened to the screeching. But we invest in it. We do something. We, we encourage them. We want them to develop, and there's nothing wrong with that. If your child says, I'm interested in drama, well, you might encourage them to try out. You might even give them some lessons. You might do that. Okay, your child says they want to cook. What would you do to help them to learn to cook? Give them the phone number for Burger King and McDonald's. You're going to take the time to teach them. You're going to work with them. Okay? And you'll warn everybody else in the family that they did that supper that night. But you invest. You have a child that wants to do woodwork, that wants to go hunting, wants to do something of that sort. What do you do to help them to develop? You just give them a rifle and say you're on your own. None of you would do that. None of, you would, none of you would say, oh, you want to learn about mechanics? Here, take the keys to the car and go. You wouldn't do that. You would take the time personally to get involved, to train, to teach. You would say, come with me, do this with me, which is all appropriate, which is all good. In that same way, what are you doing with your kids when it comes to the Word of God? What are you doing with training them 
by being proactive in helping them to improve their life spiritually. Well, send them to church and let somebody else do it. We're too busy to sit down and read the Word of God with them. Give a thought of going and visiting the widows with your kids? Give any thought to saying, how about if we just pray together? To really train in the spiritual realm demands that you take time, you invest, you work with them. And maybe you have to do greater investments. That's exactly what Deuteronomy 6 talked about. We just read it. When you're rising up, when you're sitting down, when you're lying down, when you're walking about, take time to talk about spiritual truths. Teach them. Show them how it applies to this life. You were just telling me, Nancy, just minutes ago, how one of the greatest impacts upon your kids was when your husband had to turn down at work lying for the company, and he got demoted because he wouldn't lie for the company. And within a month, lost the, uh, his promotion, lost the pay that went with it. But you said your kids saw how he applied that to his life. I'm going to serve the Lord and not be, not be wicked. And that made an impact. And they talked about it. They saw it. It became a part of their conversation. Parents, you need to actively, purposefully, intentionally say, where am I going to teach my kids this week about the Word of God? What am I going to train them? Okay, let's pick a topic that they're getting inundated with. What have you intentionally and purposefully taught them about their sexuality? About their identity? What have you sat down and done to train them in those areas that they are getting inundated with false impressions and ideas? What are you doing when it comes to saying, okay... I'm teaching my child about prayer. I'm teaching my teenager about prayer. What investment are you making with helping them to pray? You said, well, they'll just learn it. The disciples even said to Jesus, teach us to pray. They didn't understand it. How can a 13-year-old understand it when even the apostles had a struggle with it? You need to invest purposefully. You need to understand, by the way, that what you are investing in purposefully is also teaching them. And if there is nothing or very little that's purposefully invested in the spiritual realm, you are telling your kids that is more important than serving God. All those things, serving God is just a Sunday morning thing and it's not a part, that goes contrary to the Word of God. Your high goal needs to be their heart, their love for the Lord. While they're doing the rest of the life thing and living a normal life. But your instruction has to be verbal. Your instruction has to be visual. Remember how he says, put the frontlets here, put it on your door. They took it to the extreme. It's the idea you live it. You live honesty. You live integrity. You live service for the Lord. You actually display it. You live, you display, you teach a love for the church, the body of Christ. You teach the importance of reading the Bible. You teach the importance of praying. You teach it by your example. Is it important even to worship? So you need to proactively, purposefully think through what are we teaching what are we training? 
What, what message am I giving them about serving the Lord? So we read in scriptures, it says to you literally, train up a child in the way he should go. The word train has this idea to point towards, to give direction to. It's the idea of basically taking a bit and putting it in the horse's mouth and guiding that horse. Giving that type of direction. It is also the idea of when the child was first born, take a little bit of the juice from the figure, the date, put it on the roof of their mouth so it creates an appetite, a sucking sensation. You are to be creating an appetite for spiritual things in your kids' lives. That's what God's Word demands of you. God's Word demands and commands you to do it, not just to think about it, but actually be doing it on a regular basis. In fact, when he says train up a child, he's not just talking about an infant. He's talking about children all the way up into adulthood. That you are constantly trying to invest in their lives spiritual life, spiritual truth, spiritual goals of serving the Lord. So we have this challenge that says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Stop doing this, dads, which means it's common. But what you need to do is bring them up in the nurture. Bringing them up is the same concept, pointing them towards, directing them towards the disciplines, the, the idea of that standards of the Lord. We talked about, I mentioned just a moment ago, sexuality. What standards are you nurturing them in? What are you t- putting into their mind? What knowledge are you giving them? You're the ones that are supposed to be giving them the truths of the word of God. So he demands this from parents. That they would invest in their kids in such a way that they would help their kids to move to a stronger point of spirituality. What are you doing? What have you done this past week? What are you personally doing to help them on a regular basis? The way you act at home, the way you talk to the others, are you moving towards the graciousness of Christ? What are you teaching them? How have you shared with them how God has answered prayer? And it is so important. We can, I can share prayer stories with you. And you would get so thrilled by some of these, which we'll share in the next couple of weeks. You'll get so thrilled that you're saying, oh, that is so exciting to see how God answered that person's prayer. It'll encourage you to pray. In the same way, what are you doing when you go home and talk about God answering prayer? What are you doing when you go home and talk about sharing the word of God with a coworker? What are you doing when it talks about, hey, I got this out of the service? Instead of walking away and complaining about how long-winded Wayne is, which he is, what are you teaching your kids about worship and the thrill of it? You see, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it's more than just sitting in church. It's actually living the word of God. The way God wants you to. This is lining up your life with the word of God so you avoid a disaster. You see, the word of God tells us that you got to take a long look. Don't get discouraged. Some of you with the little kids, you're you're thinking right now, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. They'll never be potty trained There you go. It'll never work. They'll never sleep through the night. I don't know if they'll ever get the shoe on the right foot. It'll never work. And it gets frustrating. It gets discouraging. It gets wearing down at times. But the Word of God says, take the long look. When there's hope, 
do the correcting. When, when there is challenge, take the long look, not just the immediate results, and sometimes they aren't as quick, they aren't as immediate, sometimes they aren't as apparent. But you've got to be investing and saying, hey, the long look is I'm trying to keep my child from going to hell. The long look is what I want to do is I want them to understand that they're going to follow the Lord and serve the Lord so that in the future, I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going to benefit from seeing my kids worshiping the Lord, following the Lord as young adults, as married couples growing up. When you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, it says they won't depart from it. He's not talking about 80-year-olds in this text. He's not saying, parents, work at raising your kids so that when they're decrepit and too old to do anything else, then they'll serve God. No. The word that he talks about old is being able to bear whiskers. He's talking about in their formative years, when they're hitting the teen years, that that's when it'll be of benefit, that they will grow. Let me stop with this one this morning. God's word tells us every child is valuable. Every child is unique. That they are personally designed. That has tremendous play on parenting. You see, God has designed every child. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew us when we were in the lowest parts of the earth that is in our mother's womb. God designed us. God moved in us. God was molding us. It was happening. God was aware. He gave certain books. In fact, we were fashioned as he was, had it written. You have certain skill sets that are unique to you that God gave you. You have certain appearance that is unique to you. We have certain features that are unique to every single one of us that God designed for us. So with that in mind, we go a step further. We understand that God valued all life, even children, so much so that he protects the unborn. That he says it's wrong to harm a child in the womb. If a child in the womb is harmed to the point that that child is dead, it becomes dead, that there was to be a life given for a life. In other words, abortion is murder. God protects that life. God says that this is important. Now, you and I as a parent look at this and say, okay, how does this play out? God's saying that our kids are valuable to him. He has designed them specially. That he wants them protected. He wants them cared for, treated well. Not maligned. Father, stop provoking your children to wrath. Not abused. But he wants them molded in such a way that they would serve him. Train up a child in the way he should go. What is the way that he should go? Is it, is the way God's way? None of us are going to argue that. None of us are going to say that we train up a child against God. So we want to train them in the ways of God. But is that what this verse is highlighting? With the Hebrew structure of the verse, this is the other possibility of this verse. Train up a child in the way, not God's way, but in that child's uniqueness. The way is referring to the child's bent. Would you agree with me that children from the same two parents can be really different from each other? Yes, no? How so? In what ways are my kids in the same, in the, from the same family? What are some differences? How they learn. What's that? Yeah. 
shy or outgoing. Gotcha. I'm sorry. I'm going deaf this morning. They can hear or they can't hear. Okay, that's, that's a difference. Okay. Skill sets. Personalities. Did any of you have kids that responded differently to correction? Yes, no? Oh, we had one that, I mean, it was like, oh, here we go again. And it was, oh, it was, if I say too much over the internet, I'll go to jail. Um, you know, it was really hard. And we had another one that we could just go, and they were melted. Any of you have those, those opposites? Did you have any kids that were really talkative? How'd your day go at school? How'd your day go at school? Fine. I like the fine. Yeah. That, that was enough for me. So when she's not here, I tell you this. I, she, I go, if she's not here, wait. And she says, how'd church go? Fine. And my wife wants. So kids are different, are they not? You mentioned it. You mentioned, you said they learn different. Oh, my word. Some of our kids, give them a book. Read the book. They learned. Some of our kids, read the book. Read the book. You can't read? You're in high school and you still can't read? Okay. Big difference in learning. Huge difference. So when we're dealing with this, here's, here's where it's really a struggle for parents. You need to observe the unique abilities, talents, gifts, personality of that child. And you need to train them in this way of loving the Lord and serving the Lord while you are dealing with their bent. That means you might have to invest a little bit different ways in one child than another child. You might have to do more hands-on with one child than another child. You see, the bottom line is, woe to the parent that says, I've got 10 kids, I'm going to treat all 10 the same way. Everything we do, the exact same way. They dress the same way, they eat the same food, they answer the same way, they will, because they're all 10 totally identical. Good luck with that. Woe for you if you are treating your children as a cookie cutter. You're going to drive your kids away. It's going to be a tragedy. You're going to drop some of them right off the hoist. So you need to know they're bent. Can I add this? Okay. Can I add this comment? Woe to the parents that tell others, this is what I did. This is what you need to do to your kid. It worked for me. Your kids might be a little bit different than somebody else's kids. Advice is helpful, but don't belittle somebody else. Be sensitive that somebody else's kids may have a difference than your own kids. Just because they're 16 doesn't mean they all drive the same way. So you look at it and say, okay, you've got to know your child's bent. And knowing they're bent, you have to invest in them. You do realize that some kids are watching. They don't, they don't listen really well to what, what you're saying, but they're watching you. They're watching and they're observing you, for instance, during worship. They're watching you during worship. And no matter what you say, they're learning more by how you respond in worship. That impacts them more than what you tell them at home how they should act at church. So you need to know your child's bent. You need to work with them. I close with this one that I jumped up to 10. We'll put any others. Simply go back to Psalm 127. Where he says, and where we started this morning, if I want my kids to be godly, the first thing I've got to worry about is myself. Do you catch this in Psalm 127? 
where he says in this text, he says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. We're excited about what's the first verse? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes in vain. What's he saying? You can't parent without the Lord. The next chapter, the next, the next psalm, flip over if you're, I have pages, so I'm saying flip over. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord that walks in his way. And then he goes on, talks about your kids, your wife, and how the, all these blessings. But he starts off, he says, blessed is the one that fears the Lord, that walks in his way. He says, man, if that's you, I can bless you. So we're right back to this whole thought. It comes down to how is it between you and the Lord? Do not demand from your children something you aren't willing to do yourself. Do not demand from your children that they become a warrior when you won't do it. Do not demand from your kids that they become very attentive to the word of God when it's preached when you won't do it. Do not demand or expect from your kids that they would go and be a witness around the community and you'd make be so proud if they did, if you won't do it. But they should be doing those things. So you raise your standard not only for your kids, but for yourself. And you say that as a parent, what I'm going to do is I'm going to line myself up with the Word of God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do so I avoid these tragedies. In my own life. And people who do not line up with the word of God, he warns them there is tragedy. He warns if sinners can entice thee. This is a dad talking to his kid. He says, don't do it. If they get out of the way of the sinners, because it's going to come to a point. He says, that because you set at not my counsel, because you refuse to listen to me, you call upon me, I'm not going to answer you. They that hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. There's going to come a point, there's going to be some form of discipline. Mom and dads, are you godly before the Lord? Grandparents, are you godly? If you want godly kids, godly grandkids, give them the example. Start it off today. Father, help us here as we look into the simplicity of these truths, help us to apply them to our own hearts. It's very easy for me, for others here, to think about other people in this auditorium, other people in our realm at work, other people at school, other people in our neighborhood that could apply this. But Father, help us to stop that and be honest with you. How does this apply to me? What do I do? Help those who are in the throes of parenting to enjoy it and to experience from your word the guidance that they need to raise these kids for your glory. We plead with you. Help the young people within this congregation. Help them to have a godly spirit. Please, Father, work in their hearts. Work in their lives. Help them to have a tender spirit towards you, towards others. Create a real hunger to seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. And before we close out this service, we want to give opportunity to any, to all, who would say, I'd like to talk to somebody about my spiritual destiny.
I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I'm struggling and I would like somebody to pray with me with some of the things that were talked about this morning. We have staff in a hallway next to the auditorium that lead to private rooms to the right of our auditorium. There's double doors that are open. If you would like to go and talk with somebody, just go down that hallway and meet one of those men at the edge of that hallway. One of those ladies, they'd be glad to talk with you. This is a moment. This is your opportunity to just get up and to go and talk with somebody. Dear Father, help us this afternoon to cogitate, to think through, to meditate over these truths and to work at them starting even this evening. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening.